Ladies and gentlemen, the tiny DevOps guy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tiny DevOps Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Hall. On this show, we like to talk about solving big problems with small teams. And today, I'm excited to have uh, Jack Hughes with me who is, uh, an, I guess, an Agile coach, uh, Scrum advocate. Um, and we're gonna talk about Scrum today and how it fits into the picture of software development and DevOps and, and all these fun things. But before we dive in, Jack, would you give us a brief introduction? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for the invitation. I know you sent it a while ago, but it wouldn't have been of any value in the old house because the internet connection was, was horrendous. So I appreciate the patience. <laughs> I also right. like what you're what you've been doing lately in terms of course correcting people in terms of what MVP uh, really means. I've been following mm -hmm. you, sort of trying to gently and nicely sort of uh, educate people. So uh, yeah, well, well done for yeah. that. I suppose it's it's been, it's been some people go go for the jugular and sort of you're wrong. Oh. And this is the way it should be. But I think the way you've interacted with people has been really um, really great. So yeah, oh, well, pop, thank you for that. Um, so yeah, I, I'll give you the, the short version. Um, I, I left the, the Royal Navy in, in 2015 after just shy of seven years. And then for one reason or another fell into, uh, I suppose, junior, a junior project management role, very traditional in a, in a, in a bank in, uh, in the UK. Um, I suppose I was because it's what I was used to, I was quite process driven because that's what the military is all about, I suppose, to a certain extent. Um, but, but entering the corporate world, it was, uh, I suppose I came in with a fresh pair of eyes. I identify, I was quite good at identifying areas of waste and why, you know, why questioning. Yeah. I was like a, yeah, like a baby project manager. So why'd you do it like this? Why, why are you? Like, what? Well, that doesn't make sense sort of thing, which, you know, which went down well with some, not so well with others, you know, who's this, who's this upstart trying to, trying to, you know, open the, open the bonnet of what we do in this, um, legacy driven organization, I suppose. Um, and then I found scrum first, to be honest, I think many people, many people do again, cause I was more process driven. The, the process side of it, the sequential nature of it, it, it made sense to me. And I suppose without really rea realizing, I'd been doing elements of that particular framework in, in my military life, you know, daily huddles, you know, having visual lists to do, um, small cross-functional teams, although nothing to do with IT, the, the, the foundations, the um, the intent of it, for want of a better word, made, just made sense to me. And I thought, oh, I quite like this. And then you, like Alice, you sort of fall down the rabbit hole of Agile with a capital A and more importantly, agility in general. Um, and then it just kicked off from there, really. I, I left that organization to pursue uh, the Scrum Master route. Um, worked, in a, worked in a couple of places and then uh, set out on my own. And that's what I've been doing. So a relatively short, you know, 
what are we now, 2022, 20, so seven years, a relatively short period of time. But I suppose my enthusiasm and passion for it has sort of catapulted me because I, I, I felt like I finally found something, one, I'm quite good at and two, I'm interested in. So you, you then pursue it with, with everything you've got. And yeah. Then, yeah, that's, that's probably the, the two minute version. Great. And so, and so now, nowadays you're part of a, um, uh, your, your organization is called Everyday Agile, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you do you, content creation as well. I see you have videos frequently and, and frequent, uh, at least LinkedIn posts. Yeah. Um, so what does your day-to-day -day look like these days? So it, it's changed significantly um, because it was just me as a single um, contractor just, just on my own. And then for, for whatever reason, the, the LinkedIn stuff is interesting because it, it, there was never, I always say it's the death by a thousand cuts strategy. There's been no sort of, well, there wasn't any real thinking behind it for for a number of years. It, it started off with posting, trying to help people who are leaving the armed forces. So this is what I've done. This is what to expect in the corporate world. You know, it might, it, it might strike a chord, it might not. I can only tell my sort of story. And then I started talking about Scrum and I started talking about Agile, Kanban, you know, the, the whole sort of shebang. And yeah, I, I, I suppose I was a, I'm one of, if it's a strength, I can write the way I talk. So I think for people who are new to this world or to this community, I think I'm able to speak in a language that rings true. And I realized early on from a marketing point of view that I'm not marketing the people already in the community. And that comes with its own um, challenges because as you know, I'm sure you've had it yourself. It's a bit, there's a bit of pack mentality sometimes. So you'll, so I write a post for Jim or Janet who are in HR. They've heard of this agile thing, but they don't really understand it. So I'll write a code, I'll write a post or make a video that tries to simplify it. And then you get the, whew, that's not. So I realized that I'm not marketing for people who are already involved because their, their, their level is so far beyond, you know, the, the muggle, if you like, the person who is trying to dip their toe in the water. Um, yeah, it's, I built the business off, off LinkedIn content. There's no doubt about that. Um, and it's just been constant every day trying to, trying to think of something. I didn't really know content marketing or copywriting was even a thing until someone said, Oh, you do content marketing. I was like, well, I suppose, yeah, I do. But I was just trying to tell, <laughs> tell stories to, to bring, to bring things to life really. And that's worked in my favor. Good. So what kind of, uh, uh, clients do you typically work with then? Or is yeah. it usually individuals or organizations or, or what? The normally organizations, the, the one that's taking most of my time at the moment um, is in the defense sector. So obviously I can't, I'm not being dramatic, but I can't talk, I can't go into masses yeah. of detail, but um, <laughs> it, it's probably the, the most complex environment I've worked in. And then there's other people who, who the business sort of associates of everyday agile who are in there as well doing fantastic work but the the literal politics in terms of it's in the defense sector and you know with government involvement and then you've got the um 
different organizations who are involved all with all trying to all trying to go in the same direction but then the internal politics of that all trying to work together you know it, all with different goals all with different ideals all with different understanding of what agile means to them and it's not software it's it's more of a hardware thing so the sometimes a, a, a tiny bit of knowledge from leadership can be quite dangerous because then it, it spirals it spirals they start you know they start using terminology and it's it's like do you, do you know do you know what that means you know, like if you have you read one article and you've sort of just thought that's that's the way to go or have you put a bit more thought behind it so it's definitely complex it's definitely um yeah a challenge but yeah apart from that i've done we've had clients in retail oil and gas not so not so not so proud of that one but um uh, medical industry education so I, I've just tried to collect as many clients as possible, selfishly, to, 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 to learn from, from different organizations. Like one, one minute I'm talking about something in the defense sector, and then two days later I'm talking about, you know, how to, how to get pet food to people's doors quicker. It's, the context switching can be a challenge, but it's um, something I tend to thrive off. So let's let's get to fundamentals for just a minute. Uh, I, I want to talk about different organizations, but first, you said it, you, sometimes it's a challenge because different people have different concepts of what agile is. Mm. Um, what's your concept of agile? Let's talk about that. Uh, try to get everybody who's listening on the same page, so we know that we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just briefly, how do you define or describe agile? So I think uh, agility is starting to be more important than agile with a capital A. And in terms of business agility, and I, I, I've never, I've never been with a client who doesn't want to talk to, the, who doesn't benefit from, whether, whether they want to early on or not, it's another question. So I'll reword that. Who doesn't benefit from eventually talking to the customer earlier and more often, having shorter um, release cycles in terms of getting code out into production, having better conversations with the people in the organization to see what their intrinsic motivation is and to hopefully get it a, a, a tiny bit less wrong. And if you take all of the, the buzzwords off the table, yeah, I think that would be my, well today anyway, that would be my four point agility manifesto if you like. All right. <laughs> and, and then how does Scrum fit into that? Um, yeah. Just in other words. I think... <clears throat> For, for me, I think I've definitely been on the on the journey of you do scrum by the book, and I think I think if people don't, I think if people in this in our community don't admit that, I think they're they're a bit delusional. I think we most of us do go on this journey of we find scrum, we fall in love with it. It's the be all and end all. We put the the scrum police hat on from time to time when when we're early on. You know, the the guide is the guide, and, and I I do get that. Arguably, if you remove one thing from it, that isn't Scrum anymore. But I think it, it, it will continue to have its place. But as you, as one evolves in their own career and working from organization to organization, and that's why I've been collecting clients to, to sort of prove my own sort of theory that you have to be, to be honest and say, we can take some things from this framework, which will work really well. 
But if we're tightly, if we're in a defence or um, a defence environment that's tightly governed, we're not really building a product. We're uh, we're building theories and looking at algorithms of can this thing do that thing, and that takes a long time. And there's a lot of clever people who do that. And you know what? Yes, having a daily a daily scrum or daily stand up, whatever you want to call it, is probably helpful. Yes, doing some sort of refinement to look into the future is is helpful. But we're not we we're not releasing anything just yet to the customer because the governance is constrained by that, and that's okay. But let's just be honest about it. Let's if we're not doing scrum, let's just accept that we are doing we're we're doing eighty percent of it, and we will work to get to one hundred percent. But at the moment. When, let's stop saying we're doing Scrum when we're not, I suppose, because that's okay. And I think that needs to be promoted a bit more because I'm sure, I don't know about you, you go into, I go into an organization, yes, we're, we're using Scrum. You start kicking the tires a bit and it's like, well, are, are you really? Like, have you, where's the definition of done? Oh, we, we don't do that bit. Okay, that's fine, but that's not Scrum. And let's just, right. let's just be honest about <laughs> it. I don't really care. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. When, when somebody tells me they're doing Scrum, then I have a, a, a list of expectations. And when those expectations don't match reality, then I'm at minimum, I'm confused. And yeah. and, and everyone else will be too. So yeah, I mean, the, the, the words ought to have some sort of meaning. Otherwise, they just become meaningless, right? And ultimately, it, it might not be the be the right fit. You know? oh, okay. If you've got if you if you're if you're focused on a continuous flow of work, and you're so last year, worked with a with a HR team, they arguably weren't building a product. They just had onboarding, they had recruitment, they had health and safety, they had, um, it was oil and gas HR, so they had um, Kazivax, so if there's an accident on an oil rig, they, they had to sort that out. So it was just a continuous flow of work. So we gave them the options, you know, this, this is what Agile is, this is what it isn't. These are the two most popular ways of working. You've got Scrum, you've got Kanban. This is what each, this is what each one, it tries to achieve or help you with and they chose Kanban and that's fine like I think you have to and I think the same goes for scaling sometimes it's like a I try and think of it as a pick and mix of, of sweets so PI planning might be a good idea we, we take that bit from safe sprint planning one and sprint planning two from large-scale scrum that might also be a good idea you combine them both You've got quite a good, a rigorous but um, rigorous but not rigid scaling framework there. Instead of saying we have to do X, we have to do Y, because we've sent everyone on a course and that's the that's the path we have to go down. Let's just take the bits we need. And back to the original point, I think I've been on that journey of Scrum Police to do you know what? How is what's going to be the best thing for work to flow for the team? Because often. These, these these conversations about agile, Scrum, this that, they're done by middle management, and the, the the engineers are not involved, and they get it. They just want to build stuff. They want to do some exciting things. So I think we have to remember that a lot of this is a technology problem or a technology opportunity, not a process, not an argument about which process we do. Because if we've if we can't we can't push code to production, then we can say we're doing Scrum all we like, but. <laughs> to what end? Yeah, yeah. So uh, you, you talked about working for a large variety of different clients. I'm curious if you could maybe give just a 
two or three examples of some of the biggest outliers in terms of which process or, or what made sense. You know, like you already mentioned, uh, working with an HR group that wasn't delivering software. Um, do you have other examples where like Scrum just wasn't the right fit, maybe even Kanban wasn't the right fit uh, yeah, just because yeah. they were doing something so unusual? Yeah, so again, it was last year. And last year was a, was a big learning experience for me because it was the first time I'd actually walked away from two engagements because it, it didn't fit with my own sort of values and principles in terms of how it was being, I can't think of a better word, but implemented or, or introduced. So, so it was a marketing team um, for a telecommunications company and they had invested in people, which is great. And they've invested in sending people on. I had no involvement in this, so I came into it a bit later on. But they, they, they'd invested in sending people on Scrum course. Great, fine, brilliant, good for people's development. They literally went on these courses, you know, two, three weeks before. It got to the Monday, say it was the 2nd of April, and they turned their teams into squads of scrum teams and said you are now we're now agile using scrum there was no pre-work in terms of okay well these teams are not cross-functional they've still got a load of ongoing you know a ton of ongoing work we've got scrum masters who are scrum master scrum masters in title but they're still doing their day job as well so the scrum master role was seen as a side of desk thing you know the usual they book the events, they facilitate, and that's it. And it's just turned 30 teams on instead of, you know, going through a pilot stage, let's try it with one team. And all of this, all, all of this advice was given, but it just wasn't, wasn't listened to. And it was like, well, back to, back to the same point before, really. Some of these marketing campaigns are going on and on and on, and they're planning in the future. Scrum might have been the right fit, but not for every team. You can't just turn 30 teams on and expect them to be scrum teams. Because <laughs> some, and that, that was one, unfortunately, I just thought, ah, this isn't this isn't for me. Um, I think some stakeholder, um, some, some leadership engagement, coaching, training, mentoring, whichever flavor would have, would have been, would have been really helpful. Um, an impact map, um, and really digging into Mr. or Mrs. Leader, are you aware of what you're asking for? Because telling a team to go and be agile or do agile is very easy, but if you don't educate yourself on what you're asking for, you know, you're, it's going to be a challenge for you and the teams. What do you make of the, the top-down approach to agile? I mean, one of the things that one of the principles of the manifesto, of course, is, is, I don't remember how it's phrased exactly, but it's in Scrum too, you know, the idea of self-organized teams and, and mm. so, sort of autonomy of teams. Yeah, yeah. Can you, in, does it even make sense logically for management to say, now you're doing agile or, or is that an oxymoron? I, I do believe in bottom-up change to an extent, but I think you can do some great work at the team level and that will do some, that will produce some surface level results. But I think there needs to be a meeting of, we've done some great stuff down here, but if, if the leadership 
again, aren't educated and, and bought into what they're asking for themselves, I think bottom-up change can only can only go so far from my experience anyway, and I'm happy to be happy to be corrected or proven wrong. I can only speak from my own experience, but yeah, bottom-up change can happen at the surface level and maybe a bit deeper, but unless your leaders are, are bought in and it goes so far beyond just the engineers now, you know, how we contract, how we onboard people, like how we recruit people, how we, how we um, monitor their performance. It's massive and I think it's still, although it's 21 years old, massively underestimated in terms of what a smaller agile organization looks like. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that little four point document has such a profound impact on the way that an organization works, doesn't it? It's, yeah, it's speaking to scary. someone about, yeah, I, I'm doing, I'm in the middle of a product owner sort of workshop at the moment. And I, I think I was thinking about this a lot I can't speak for those gentlemen who were. I was eleven when the manifesto was created, so <laughs> yeah, I can't really. I wasn't there, but I don't know if they ever expected it to turn into what it has. I think it was. This is just my opinion. I, I think it was a meetup, as we see now everywhere, and they came up with these four values and twelve principles. I don't think they ever imagined it was going to turn into this whole industry. But I could, you know, I could be wrong, but. So it's, so it's no wonder that they are you know, so protective over it. So you talked about, you mentioned that sometimes, or you mentioned that in the example of 30 teams, maybe it doesn't make sense for all the teams to be doing Scrum. How do you decide when it does make sense to do Scrum and when it does make sense for something else? What are the criteria you look at? I would always say you need to identify a pilot team and the cost of entry to that pilot team would be, you know, we're gonna have some opportunities. You, you may call them challenges. Um, not you personally, but the organization may call them challenges. Let's call them opportunities. They're going to be unearthed. Um, have you got a stable team in terms of the people are going to be committed to this for, for a period of time? What What's the technology stack at the moment? Can we, how can we bring the cross-functionality of the team? So in some organizations, UX, and engineering is still quite separate. Well, are you open to them being combined together just for this pilot, just trust the process? But trusting the process requires, again, people don't like the word buy-in for some reason, but I, I think people need to buy into the idea that of uh, into the idea of experimentation, even just to prove that it doesn't work. So I think that the, the category to answer your question, the, the sort of boxes to answer your question would be, a small pilot team who are dedicated to the, the experiment, um, a stable enough technology stack that some good, um, some good code and some good product can be released quicker than usual, and a a strong sponsor who who will help the scrum master, agile coach, whoever, and more importantly the team, ring fence that team to to give them the space to to thrive and. Um, don't get me wrong, that the, the experiment still needs to, to show some sort of data or, you know, the, the outcome, did we achieve it or not? But I think that they would be the, the three that I would say today. All right. You, you keep talking about cross-functional teams, and that's, that's part of the idea of Scrum. Um, mm -hmm. But 
uh, one of the, some of the pushback I often hear about Scrum is a cross-functional team doesn't make sense for us or in our situation, or we don't have enough people, we don't have enough UX designers for that or, yeah. or whatever. How, how do you address that? Um, is there still room for Scrum or do you need to take a different approach in one of those I think, cases? I think there is. Um, again, but it comes back to honesty for me. So we have, so say we have a team of engineers, by engineers, we'll keep it simple. I'll just label them as front and back end DevOps test, just for now, just don't at me. It's just a basic example. Um, and then we've got a separate, you know, the, the, the designers over there somewhere. I suppose Scrum can still be your framework of choice, but you are, you make the organization has to be willing to accept you are not going to see, or potentially not going to see the, the, all of the benefits from having the team together. So it's highlighting the fact that the UX people are going to be context switching. They're going to be, so if you're a UX designer and you're sort of across many teams, that's potentially two to three daily scrums, two to three sprint plannings, two to three sprint reviews, so on and so forth. And that's just a fact. If you're, if we're okay with that, then you scrum might have some, um, some success. But how does that UX person then feel about going to all of that? They're going. They're probably going to be burnt out. So again, it's that it's that buy into experimentation. Let's just put this UX person in the team for three weeks. If it hasn't worked after that three week period or whatever period you choose, again, that's okay. They we can we can try something else. So I think to answer your question, Scrum could still work. Will they get the? Will they realize all of the benefits? That is the that is the question that you know they have to be open to to answering. Okay. What are some of the biggest misconceptions you hear about Scrum? That, that you that um, that it's the automatic go-to. So we we we're agile now. We'll, we'll use Scrum. I think I've I think I've laboured that point enough in terms of it might not be. There's a, there's a toolbox. You know the old analogy of the uh, you know. Uh, uh, a laborer will use many tools and picking the right tool for the job. Um, misconceptions. So the scrum master has to has to be at everything. So they have to facilitate every event and they are the, the only person who can remove any impediments or blockers. I think that, that's a big one. Um, the scrum master being the admin person, again, that's the, the person who buys the code, the donuts and the coffee. Um, <laughs> As long as somebody buys the coffee and the donuts, I don't care. It's yeah, I don't care. Who it is. <laughs> um, I suppose that yeah, the definition of done is a choice. I suppose I, I think that's probably. I might change my mind later today, but I think the definition of done is probably the biggest thing that can help teams if they're utilizing this particular framework, because it's very. People don't like the the binary nature of Scrum sometimes, so we've either done it or we haven't. There's no room for I've done it, but and I, but I think that can drive teams to, to better conversations. But a misconception is that the definition of done is is um, is optional. If somebody's interested, maybe maybe they are have just become or they're interested in becoming an agile uh, team after having done something ad hoc or maybe something waterfally. Um, what are the steps they should take to 
to start doing Scrum? How do you implement it? I mean, I guess you don't have 30 teams all do it at once. We know that's an anti-pattern, but what's the right way? I think it's about, if it was me, I would get a, a blank wall. I would put the, the Scrum components in terms of events, artifacts on the wall. And I would sort of, if you imagine it as some tracing paper, put what we do now at the moment over the top and see if there's any um, uh, consistency. You may have a bi-weekly governance review. Well, could we could we invite the customer to that? Does that could, could we make that a bit more engaging and turn that into a sprint review? Maybe. We, we do, we look ahead every couple of, a couple of weeks. Okay, well, do we have a, an ever-growing list of requirements, AKA potentially called a product backlog that, it, that the team can see? So I, yeah, I would get the, 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 recipe, the, the recipe book that is Scrum. I would put that on the wall and see if, what, what we can align to at the moment. Um, and also how, what, so the, the, the organization that I'm doing this product owner stuff for at the moment, they still have a four, um, a release cycle of four times a year. So back to the technology sort of debate. Well, if, if we can only release four times a year, how does that fit into continuous integration and continuous deployment? Can we even can we even start that conversation, or are we going to be more process orientated for now? Which is fine. Let's just be be honest about it. Um, and if people are um, cautious, it's, I suppose it's finding out what their tolerance for experimentation is. So, again, some people might not agree with this. We don't have to go for the full hundred percent. From day one should we start speaking to each other every day just for 15 minutes to see if we're all on the right track not to report in but just to, to see how people are doing you know when was the last time we looked ahead should we put some refinement in and then not by stealth because you want people to be to be on the journey but i would say start with where start with where the team wants to start because at the end of the day they are the they're probably the smartest people in the room as well. And we need to start treating them like that. I like that, yeah. What if you have a team that has a lot of ad hoc work, a lot of requests, um, and, and, I, and I'm thinking, of course, uh, in this case of like a DevOps or an operations team or a platform team. Yeah. So you get requests from other teams, you maybe get uh, outage reports, and, and you're, you're doing a lot of ad hoc stuff. Um, is Scrum a good approach in your mind or uh, some sort of, Scrum hybrid or something else? What, how, how do you approach that? Off the top of my head now, I would probably say a true Kanban approach might be a better option. And by Kanban, you know, I don't just mean post-its on the board. I mean doing proper static, so systems thinking, systems thinking approach to introducing Kanban, you know, really highlighting what the flow of work is and yeah if i'm going to put my my head on the table for this i would go for a kanban approach first for that for that particular instance but properly so invest the time into creating and amending the board that is going to work for the team are we looking at um lead time cycle time throughput are we looking at limiting the amount of work in progress are we looking at our um cfd diagrams not just we've got a kanban board and we put some post-its on it let's turn it into a, a real 
um, pull system, using expedite lanes if we've got a major incident and things like that. And as time goes by, you, you, know, you might find that Scrum might suit your context better. But you could also say the same if you started with Scrum, you'll find out over time if Kanban might be a better approach or Scrum with elements of Kanban. But if you're not building, I suppose if you're not building a, a thing that is going to be reviewed every couple of weeks, again, not everyone will agree, but I think doing good Kanban or introducing real Kanban would be a, would be a good start. So to make the question a little more difficult, now imagine you have a team that's doing elements of both. Maybe they're they're building a new database or something like that that will that is delivered and, and uh, uh, so so there's something that could definitely fit this Scrum framework. But they're also responsible for responding to incidents. Um, how would you combine these two yeah. seemingly yeah. different responsibilities? So yeah, so I think having a strong product owner would be key key for this. You know, um, just because the, the product owner has one priority, technically that doesn't mean it can always be be fulfilled. So I would say product ownership in, in this instance for a true sort of, for a true team that you're describing would be would be paramount. I would be trying to work with, with them to make sure they understand what their responsibility is in terms of listening to the team, making sure, you know, they, 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 they understand how to prioritize, what they're prioritizing, and again, I would probably say if you're if they're building and looking after the product, Scrum with Kanban would be a fair approach. Maybe start off with Scrum, like I said, introducing it bit by bit. Um, and then, okay, we're pulling everything from our sprint backlog into in progress. And it's quite hard to see the wood from the trees at this point shall we think about limiting the amount of work we have in progress in each column? Well, that sounds like a good idea. When was the last time we, we reviewed what the whole board looks like from a, a systemic point of view? Um, but also keeping in mind, we are showing this off, we are showing the product or the new um, increment of the product to the customer in a couple of weeks. So we, we do need to, to keep that in mind. And I think product owners and sprint goals and teams get confused sometimes by saying, but we're doing all of this work and it's all great, which, which is true. But having a, you know, a strong sprint goal is saying, this is the one thing we've, we've stood behind for the last two weeks, but we've also done all of this other cool stuff. We've fixed, you know, we've, we've deployed, we've, we've fixed this many, um, we've fixed the number of bugs, the number of defects, we've cleared up some, some technical debt. But this is the one thing we're really going to stand behind. And I think mixing the two is okay. What would you, how would you go about it? Just out of no, I, I, yeah, I think, I think I agree. Um, I like the way the Google SRE book balances uh, an engineer's time between yeah. ongoing projects, maybe it's a performance improvement or building a new system and responding to ad hoc requests. And they actually um, will put a, a cap on how much an engineer spends on ad hoc requests because they yeah. recognize that that burns people out. And if over a certain amount of time, over over a month, for example, you spend more than half your time on that, then you're sort of removed from that queue and you don't handle any more ad hoc requests until that, that average goes down again. So that yeah, yeah. you have an opportunity to A, build the thing you're trying to build 
uh, and B, just, just not get burned out and bored with all these these sort of requests. So I totally agree, yeah. And you know, capacity planning is, is seen as as a as a dirty as a dirty concept. But I think if the intent of capacity planning is to help those doing the work and it's and that intent is kept and it's it's done with um, with that in mind, I think there isn't there's nothing wrong with capacity planning because it, if as long as it remains to help the team. There's no point ramping the team up to 100% because we know they're going to be working at 150. They've got defects to fix. They've got HR training to do. Life gets in the way. You know, the, the connection might go down. So that's a, com- that's a difficult conversation to have with, with some people, but you have to explain it in a way that you have to mirror them. You have to explain it in, in language that they understand as well. On, on the topic of capacity planning, um, what's your take on the whole estimates versus no estimates uh, sort of thing? I imagine it's nuanced because most of what you tell me is, but I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think on that. Um, it's difficult because some of the some of the training that I do, I'm contractually obliged to to talk about story points, uh-huh. but I always make it clear that I'm going to give. This is what I have to do. But I'm going to make it clear my, my own opinion. And my own opinion of it is they can, so story points, for example, can be, can be a good compass to see how far down the backlog a team can get. I would use it as a compass and nothing more. Story points don't equate to value, as many of the listeners on, on here will, will agree with, I suppose, but some of the, some of the newer people to the, our community may not. I think there's a balance that needs to be had where leaders in our organization are being asked to commit vast amounts of money on something, on an outcome or on a set of requirements. And we have to empathize with them, with them as well. But I think funding teams and funding outcomes may be a better way. And back to the point before of this whole agile stuff goes so far beyond the engineering in terms of how we contract, how we how we bring people on, on board in terms of procurement. But I think the flow metrics, so lead time, cycle time, throughput, which then can lead to the the eighty fifth or the eightieth percentile of, you know, eighty sixty percent of the time we'll do a task in, in six days. That's gonna tell a better story than saying, well, and I've seen I've seen contracts that, that, that literally say we're, we're committed to delivering eighty story points a sprint. But right, folks, what if that what if that's what, what if that story 80, 80 points worth is absolute nonsense that no one cares about? And I always say, you know, when you get an when you get an update on your phone, there's not many people who sit there and go, oh, I wonder how many story points that took the team. They don't they don't they don't care. They don't care. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I, I see both sides of the argument. I would say that story points can be a good compass. They, they do generate a conversation. The conversation is more important than the number. But I think there are, I think the flow metrics are, are a much better way of answering the question of when it will be done. And the book titled "When Will It Be Done" dives further into that. And I would recommend awesome. that book. We'll put that in the show notes. I've got. A, I'll, I'll send you an article by someone as well. It's like a series okay. of articles about um, better ways, better things, and story points. So if you, I can, it's not mine. I, I just use it, so I can send that on awesome. as well. 
great. Check the show notes for that then. Um, so we've decided that, that this team, this hypothetical team we're on, has decided to do Scrum. We've put all the current situation on a board and we compared it to what Scrum calls for and we started to see some overlaps and places where we can start to, to move towards Scrum. Do we need a Scrum Master? Do we need a dedicated Scrum Master? Do we need a PO? How do we answer these questions? I think to get the, to get the benefits of, of the framework, I think the product owner would be uh, a non-negotiable. But in saying that, product owner means different things in different organizations. So if you're in a large financial organization and you're starting to use a Scrum team, you'll have a product owner, usually the BA, they're doing because they're with the team but who's the real product owner it's probably someone who's layers and layers above in that organization so again let's be honest are they the true product owner or are they a you know are they a voice of some of someone else so I, but i think to answer your question having a strong product owner is is a non-negotiable i think having someone who is interested in helping the team and introducing this framework whether that be a developer or whether that be, I don't know, someone else, early on will, will, be, will be a key point to, to, to make sure that the team are on, on the right train track. I don't mean release train, I mean literal track. Um, whether they need to be full, I would say they full time at the start to, to make sure People are having the, the lunch and learns about, well, what does a good sprint review look like? Like, what, what, what does a retrospective look like? Are we using the daily scrum as a status report or are we a synchronization? Um, I think it's hard. I, I think it, it's probably harder for a, for a developer to, to, to wear both hats sometimes because if you think that the scrum master more often than not, even though they don't have to, facilitates the conversation. I think it could be quite hard for someone who's very technically minded to, to pull themselves out of the solution because that's what they're passionate about. Um, but I think there will always be a need for facilitation, whether that's a full-time person or someone who sets up one team, moves on to another, but always has a has a has an entry point to the team they left behind. Um, but I think a good barometer for a scrum master is to say, well, are the, are the team the team having the same problems they had three months ago now if the answer is yes you know some of that might be due to things outside of your control or you you, you might have to you know put a bit more effort in i'm sorry to say um but i don't i don't know if i i don't know if i believe that a scrum master's job is to make themselves redundant because i've just said that i think there'll always be a need for some sort of facilitation or the option for facilitation. But I definitely think a scrum master can move beyond the team that they start with, either onto another team, because I believe in pilot teams, so start off with one team, move on, but and, and then move on to, to things in the organization whilst keeping that, that area, that touch point. Nice. What role does scrum training or should scrum training take if you're starting to adopt Scrum should should you get a certified PO or SM or other trainings? Uh, should you read a book? What, what's the best approach? For me, so I've, I've never done 
is a is a spoiler. I've never done an official Scrum Master course. I've done the certifications through Scrum.org, through my own learning, listening, and, 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 and things like that. I am a big fan of the Scrum Master Toolbox podcast. Short, sharp, 15, 20 minutes. That's how I sort of um, learn a lot of things. In terms, I, I, would, I would say knowledge building is more important than training. So, like I like I said before, having those smaller, more personal sessions of all, what what does a sprint review mean to us as a team? This is what the book says, that all the guide says, and that's great. But I'm not really a big fan. It's difficult because I'm on a product owner workshop at the moment. But I'm not the biggest fan of the sheep dip approach. In terms of, like I said before, that example, you sent a couple of people on a two-day Scrum course and then switched 30 teams on. But I think it's the Scrum Master's responsibility to keep it going. Even if that's just a weekly email saying, this is the difference between story points and flow metrics. You know, short, sharp snippets of information. Um, probably more important than, than training. But I think... But if someone's if someone wants to go on the you know an official course, then I think they should be commended for that as well. It's it's a, it's a tough one. I think it get no one complains about Prince two courses, do they? And I think Agile is flavor of the month at the moment in terms of all courses are bad. In saying that, okay, here's here's what I would do. I would look for the trainer. I would put more emphasis on the trainer than the course. So I would look for someone I respect, someone who is pragmatic enough, you know, not to say this is the be all and end all. I would look at the stuff they put out online, LinkedIn, Medium, whatever else, and I would pick a good trainer rather than be too too focused on the course. When does it make sense for this team we're talking about to seek external help, hiring an external consultant, maybe somebody like you or, or your company, uh, yeah. or when should they do it on their own? I think they should always aim to do it on their own, and I think there has. To, I think the incoming consultancy has to set themselves up to leave. I think that's what I what I'm trying to build. I don't want people to be um, reliant on outsourcing. I've seen too many big companies who are who who would be buggered, for want of a better phrase, without external help and, and consultancy. But I think they really need to know what they're asking for. What what specific problem do you need help solving? And if you don't know, okay, let's spend some time hearing the pain points. And I think an exit date is key. And what, what you're going to hold that consultancy accountable for and what outcomes you want you want to see at the end. And proper outcomes, not not like we want to train 50 people, we want to put 50 people through an introduction to Agile, like proper outcomes, the team's lead time, cycle time have, have decreased, you know, and there's different ways to measure it. And I know it's not, it's not black, it's not, it's not binary, but the team's overall morale has, has got, gotten better. Their understanding has, has, has improved by however much percent. So I think the consultancy needs to be accountable and they need to start with the end in mind. Well, I think it's a little bit refreshing to hear a consultant who says, you should try to do it without me first. 
You yeah. don't hear that very often. So uh, I commend you for that. I, I try to take the same approach too when, I, when I'm uh, working with clients. You know, um, uh, I, I try to give them all the information um, that I can. You know, uh, but if if you need that extra handholding, I'm there to help, yeah. and you are too. If people are interested in reaching out to you to, to either consider hiring you to help with their transformation or they just want to follow you on social media, how can they get a hold of you? I just live on LinkedIn, really. So Jack, J-A-C, um, Hughes. Um, yeah, I look, I look like this. Can't okay. really miss me. Tall, tall folk with a ginger beard and ginger hair. So um, yeah, right. I'm sure I'll pop up. Yep. And Very yeah, good. feel free to, to reach out. Great. Need. But well, thank we'll you for have, having me. It's been, it's been yeah. brilliant. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jack. Uh, we'll follow you on LinkedIn. Um, thanks for coming and, and educating us about Scrum and all of the nuance involved. Uh, we'll be in touch. Take care. Cheers.